right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Creative On Purpose Live, a show about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Step into possibility with integrity and intention. It's time to be Creative On Purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. This season features the Ruckus Makers Roundtable. Seth is going to try to say that four times fast. And then these are conversations about questions that matter with friends and fellow travelers from Forward Link, an alumni community for Seth Godin's Alt-MBA and Akimbo workshops. I'm your host, Scott Perry, Difference Maker at Creative on Purpose and author of Endeavor. I'm an Alt-MBA 6 grad and head on the head coach team for Akimbo workshops. You can learn more about me and my work at creativeonpurpose.com. Today, I'm joined by Casey Von Newman and Seth Godin himself to discuss the question. Uh, what is the question, Casey? Remind me. The question is, what does it, it take to, do with to make a dip. difference? What is the question? <laughs> the question is, what does it take to make a difference? Okay. So now we're going to go to, <laughs> and we're all thoroughly prepared to answer this question. So Casey and Seth, before we dive into today's discussion, please introduce yourselves to our viewers. Who are you? What's uh, your connection to Akimbo and or Alt-MBA? What are you up to these days and where can people go to learn more about you and your great work? I think we could talk about the dip all day long, so I'm up for that as well. Um, so I have uh, done multiple rounds of the marketing seminar. I think I'm finally getting the hang of it. Um, get a chance to be uh, a coach for this round um, and uh, a couple rounds back, what we call TMS7. Um, so all in on the marketing seminar, having a lot of fun with that. Um, in my career, I'm interested in helping people accomplish the things that they set out to do. I'm interested in helping people break through the obstacles that they have. Started out doing that in the context of teaching music lessons at my music school called Eclectic Music. Um, then I moved toward doing academic programs. One is a brick and mortar school in Atlanta called the Little Middle School. Um, the other is an online school called Rulerless Academy. And uh, most recently, I've been providing some strategic support for entrepreneurs and creatives. Um, and I blog at wearerulerless.com. And I've been uh, doing that for a little over a year, almost just about every weekday. So, um, Bravo. <laughs> Thank you. I wonder where I got the idea to do that. <laughs> some people, right. who, they are, who they are and what they do are not necessarily aligned. But mm. with the two of you... Uh, and for me on a good day, who we are and what we do are aligned. And I'm a teacher and I started the Alt-MBA because I asked myself a very hard question, which is if the world moves online and cares about learning instead of education, what would you do? What would you do to get a 97% completion rate? What would you do to change people's lives in 30 days? What would you do to create community? And I did it once. And it was so stunning that we are now at session 40. So the Alt-MBA is at the heart and soul of what we are building. And then around that, we have built a series of workshops that are asynchronous, where you don't have to show up on any given day. And uh, we've got more than 20,000 alumni now in more than 70 countries. Every one of them is special to us. Uh, everyone is taking something different from what we are teaching because we are not in the compliance business. And uh, to see people like Casey and Scott develop into the leaders and coaches that they are is thrilling and it makes it easy for us to go to work every day. So what a privilege to work with the two of you. Yeah, well, and, and likewise, I just want to acknowledge before we get started in earnest that you too are profoundly responsible for what I am doing here at Creative on Purpose. Casey, you were, I think, 
Uh, we were compadres in TMS4 when I finally broke through and came up with the brand Creative on Purpose, which Seth immediately endorsed after trashing the Stoic Creative <laughs> and TMS1. <laughs> um, so I couldn't be more grateful um, to you both just in general that, that, that you're here today. So we're here to discuss what does it take to make a difference? And I always like to start, Casey, by picking on the person who chose the question, and that was you, and with a little bit of uh, defining of terms. So what are we talking about when we're talking about making a difference? Uh, well, I totally cheated, and I asked my middle schoolers on a Zoom call uh, what they thought today. And, um, and one of the answers that I got, several interesting answers, um, but one of them was, um, it's really when you can get somebody to do something. Um, and I thought that tracks nicely with what we have talked about um, in, in the marketing seminar, really this idea of, of making a change happen. Um, so, um, and so we explored the idea of, of, of influencing another person to be able to do something or care about something. How about you, Seth, same question. What does it mean to make a difference? So Ted Chang, the uh, modern, fantastic science fiction writer, has a new set of short stories. And in one of them, he talks about a, a device that creates quantum entanglement and leads to new universes. And it turns out in this science fiction world, which I think is actually correct, just one breath of air changes the universe. That you showing up and breathing out, you made a change happen. So... We know that everyone makes a change happen just by eating, just by walking, just by being here. For me, the question is, what's the change you want to make happen? And it begins with who's it for and what's it for? The intentional action of leadership. So often we hide from making a change because we don't wanna be responsible. And we hide either by saying we're trying to change everyone, which we all know is impossible, or we hide by diminishing the impact that any of us can have, which is, completely invalid. And so for me, what it means to make a change is A, who did you seek to change? And B, are you willing to own it? Are you willing to put your name on it? Are you willing to say, I intentionally caused this change to happen and I'm glad I did? Because in a world where people have so many options, the question is, will they miss you if you're not there? Will your contribution be missed if it doesn't show up tomorrow? And now that we're all sheltering in place, um, so many people in our lives are essential to us. If the healthcare worker didn't show up, if the garbage man didn't show up, if the volunteer fireman didn't show up, if the hardworking person in the supermarket didn't show up, we would miss them because they made a change for us. And so I think our highest calling is to figure out how to become somebody who is making a meaningful change that other people are looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. This, and I love this question because it's at the heart of what we're trying to do at Creative on Purpose. We talk about all the time about flying higher in, in endeavors that make a difference. And that idea um, that you, you brought in, um, Casey, about change is obviously a big, big part of that. And to Seth's point about doing that with intention, you're making a difference on purpose and making it with and for people that you've chosen on purpose, um, you know, and Seth, I, I love the the tagline or the, the catchphrase that you came up with during um, 
the rollout of this is marketing, making things better by making better things. I mean, when we're talking about making a difference, we I think everybody in this room assumes that we're talking about making a difference for the better. But we have to acknowledge that sometimes we can unintentionally or intentionally make make a difference for the worse. And so, um, you know, that idea of stepping into possibility is really important uh, to, be, to be done with integrity and intention. So now that we've got some clarity around what difference we're, what kind of difference we're trying to make, what, what do you think it takes to make a difference, Casey? Well, I think, I think it takes a sense of conviction. I mean, I think when I was, all the years that I like thought about what I was gonna do and thought about blogging or sharing my ideas, um, it was kind of going back to what Seth is talking about, like, am I gonna own this and, and step into it intentionally and, and like let people know, yeah, that was me. Um, and um, and it, it took getting to a point where I was willing to um, be brave enough to potentially alienate some people in order to connect with others and, and to, to, to know, to know myself well enough to know what I had to say, but also to be willing to explore it as I went along and to trust that as I continued, I'd get more clarity about what I had to share and that, that if I invested in it, it would be worth something. Um, and that was, that was a kind of a, a leap and um, required um, trust and support to make that part happen. What you said? I love it. And, and I wanted, you know, this is exactly where I was going. Scott set us up by pointing out that sometimes we make things worse. I want to say that every time we make change happen, we make something worse. That <laughs> when uh, Carl Benz invented the car, if you had sat down with him and said, this device is going to kill tens of millions of people and lead to uh, a carbon economy, would he still have invented the car? If uh, I launch something like uh, the Alt-MBA, it's going to change the lives of 5,000 people. But what about the people who feel badly because they're afraid to take it and they could have just glided through their day, but now I'm showing up saying there's possibility and they made their day worse. But I didn't kill anybody and I didn't increase global warming, but I definitely made a change happen in the world for some people in one direction and some people in the other direction. And I can't think of a contribution even Ignaz Semmelweis teaching doctors to wash their hands that had no negative side effects. Progress always does. Creating uh, moments of status where people move up, creating opportunity that isn't possible always, and you're responsible. So part of what it means to make a change happen is deciding that you have the privilege and the leverage and the possibility, the opportunity to make things better and living with the fact that it can't be for everyone all the time. And I don't know why anyone would volunteer to hang out with middle school kids, but I am so grateful that you have. But isn't that the key to middle school? Is that middle school is what happens when a seven-year-old, not a seven-year-old, a seventh grader realizes that all their actions have consequences. Before that, they don't know it. They're not responsible. But suddenly, they're in this circle of people where everything they do has a consequence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the, the tricky part 
but it also the positive side of it is that they realize that they can choose that all the the people who are hammering away at them and telling them do this do that they start to realize oh this is for me this is my life and i can i can yep. step up and take ownership of it which is really exciting to see somebody make that connection I want to point out casey that in my days as a teacher middle school was my favorite grade to teach as well <laughs> once you accepted that there that, that it's mostly hormonal activity and, and not not as not not always cognitive activity it becomes really fun to in my watch. defense <laughs> having run a summer camp yes. i find kids at middle school age individually are extraordinary it's only when they are in groups that it is a problem <laughs> Well, that could be true of, of Akimbo alumni as well, I understand. So I, I just want to highlight the, the you know, Casey, you, you were talking about like showing up and like being on the hook. And I think that's definitely really important. And just this point, you know, I love that. I mean, whoever invented the ship also invented the shipwreck. So there's always a duality in play. And so, you know, for some people, the difference you're making is fantastic and what they want and enhances their lives. And for others, not so much. Um, and so to me, what is kind of being woven into that decision piece that Seth introduces this idea, I'm just tying the two things that you each said together into this idea of agency, this idea of owning the decisions and owning the change um, and the idea that if you're going to make change happen, you should be clear and specific about the change and you should be clear and specific about who it's for and to your point, Casey, who it's not for. Um, and I guess the other piece that I'm wondering what you all think is how important it is how important the idea of presence being in the here and now when we're talking about this, because when you make a decision to Seth's point and you act on that decision, you've made change happen. And at the same time, it's time to make a new decision because you're in a new situation because the here and now um, doesn't, it doesn't stay put. Any thoughts around that, Casey? Um. My mom and I, I'm staying with my parents right now, my husband and I, and um, my mom and I, they're, they, they close the tennis court, so we've been playing driveway tennis. Um, and uh, it, it works It works better than you'd think. It's basically like learning to hit down the alley, and like that's one of the things she's telling me. It's like, no, you got to get back in position. Every time the shot goes out, you get back in position for the next one. So I think that's a useful metaphor. Um, and one of the things that I've learned is that um, my tendency is to either go kind of like, oh, that was good. And now I can rest or, OK, like now I don't have to think about it for a second or like it, that, that was good. So I, I, I shouldn't do any more. That's enough for now. And I've I've had to learn um, to begin to amplify. Um, so if there is a success or something that seems to be working to to make more of that and 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 spread the word about it and to be bold about it, which um, uh, was uncomfortable at first and is still sometimes uncomfortable, but um, but that has been a real key. And to, and sometimes the way of amplifying it is to, um, to talk about it and to repeat yourself and, and, and um, in across platforms or whatever, but sometimes that amplification is really bringing in other people to help and be part of it. And that's, um, that's a really important and really fulfilling Part of making a change happen for me. Yeah. You know, what if we were actually good 
at predicting the future based on our choices as opposed to just simply pretending that we were good at it. And um, we spend all this time worrying and all this time filled with anxiety because we have persuaded ourselves that we are correct in our perception of what is about to happen. And we also spend a fair amount of time uh, counting our chickens before they hatch because we presume that we know that one action will lead to a different outcome. And I think one of the tenets of stoicism is we're actually not very good at either of those things. And so what if we just dispensed with all the drama around those outcome predictions and instead simply did our best work in this moment based on what we are sure of and let the future take care of itself because it always has. Can I just say how much I love it whenever you bring a little stoicism into the conversation? It makes me feel so good. It makes me feel so good. Um, I love that, what you both said. I love the piece that you're bringing in, Casey. Well, first of all, um, we have a gravel driveway. It's really hard to play tennis on a gravel driveway. I'm just oh, saying. Oh, that's <laughs> It's different than clay. It's a different sport, that's all. It's the same for everybody. If you had a really hilly driveway, you could say that the uphill person has an advantage. That part would be true. But if it's a flat gravel driveway, the gravel's a feature. You, you know, Seth, you're You right. never know where how, it's going to bounce. How very unstoic of me to not accept my fate. <laughs> um, I was really loving what you're bringing in around the collaboration piece, Casey, because um, I think that's, I mean, every every creative act, I think, is really uh, a collaborative act. Even if you're creating all by yourself, somebody, you know, helped provide the raw materials or had some influence or inspiration to the ideas you're unpacking and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then to Seth's point about, you know, um, bringing a little stoicism into, into the pursuit of making a difference, you have to accept what happens and you can't be overly attached to desired outcomes. I mean, you, but at the same time, you really, you should be intentional about what you're aiming at. But the idea, this is something that I think I really learned um, from both of you back in, in the early TMS sessions is um, if you, you can set your intention, but ultimately whether or not you hit the bullseye or not is, is not so much up to you. So that idea that as you are stepping forward into the possibility you're trying to create, you have to be willing to pivot tact and as long as you continue to do it with and for the right people for the right reasons, you'll still end up somewhere really great, just might not be right in the middle um, of that bullseye. I'd love to unpack what you were saying um, about the collaborative piece, Casey, like just speaking a little bit more to that in terms of, you know, what's your process for, excuse me, Siri is barking at me. Um, what's your process for deciding the difference that you're going to make and, and who it's going to be done with and for? Um, that's a, such an interesting question um, and something I've been thinking about a lot um, because I, what I've observed is that I've, as I've learned how to, um, to, to make some of these decisions and commit and, and to a large extent, I, I, learned, I learned from um, a beloved college professor, Dr. Dennis Cox, that it doesn't really matter what the choice is that you make as long as you commit to it 100%. 
because as we've been saying, it may drift and it may go in a different direction than what you thought it was going to be. But as long as you are responding to that and and um, and being intentional as you move forward, um, you're you're going to. It may end up being a different change. And in fact, I've seen a lot of pivots, and each of you have seen a lot of pivots in your career as well. Um, but it still is kind of along the same journey. Um, so as I've learned to to accept that part of it and make the decision and commit, I've seen that then my role is to help other people do the same thing. And, you know, I'm doing that along a couple of tracks. Maybe I'm doing that on behalf of this project we're working on together, but also helping them to do that in their lives and to decide, you know, where they're going. And so, um, and then they're in turn doing that for the people that they're serving. And so um, <clears throat> it creates this cascading effect of people who are aligned on a particular vision um, and, and, and also learning the, the habits and mindset that that facilitates that. Hmm. What's yourself? Well, I mean, this whole idea of intent goes back to who are we going to collaborate with? Uh, you know, Ornette Coleman played jazz that a lot of people didn't want to hear. And that was fine because it was voluntary to go hear that jazz. Bob Dylan intentionally, if you can believe his autobiography, intentionally showed up city after city year after year to make the old fans go away, right? Because it was like the first year, they're gonna think it's a temporary thing. The second year, they're gonna think I'm annoying. The third year, they're not gonna come back. And so he purged this huge group of people out of his life. So he could collaborate with the other ones. And uh, it's not just music. Anything that we're going to do, if we are going to seek to make a change happen, we cannot do it by ourselves. I mean, there's a certain solipsism associated with washboard abs. You can do that all by yourself. You don't need help from anybody else. But if you want someone to admire your washboard abs, you need to live in a culture where people like that. And so, again, it's still about who am I playing this gravel tennis with? And you got to pick who they are. And if you don't like that, pick someone else. Yeah, I think it's, I'm a big fan of starting with who, because if you get the right who's together, even if you don't know where you're going, you'll decide to go somewhere that's usually really, really great, or at least have a really great time get, getting there. But if if you decide on a destination and you get the wrong who's together, whew, Right, and that, that's that hurts. what we've discovered at Akimbo, 20,000 people in, is that some people don't get the joke and we think that's fine. But the people who keep showing up, it's so much more delightful because everyone gets the joke. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. And I, I love what you were saying, Casey, about creating this virtuous collaborative cycle where, and Seth, this is baked into your work. It's, you know, you teach us so that we can teach others and the, the cycle just, it, the, it's a ripple effect. So the difference, you know, is Seth may change a thousand people in a session, but they're all gonna go out and change 10, 100, 1,000 themselves, and it, it just keeps rippling out. I, I just, as we've been talking, I've been re remembering something that you said, Seth, um, about, uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but maybe it was in the creatives workshop, but about creative destruction, the idea of, you know, creatives break things um, when, when they are making new things. Would you mind just unpacking that a little bit 
if I have it right. Um, so I did a podcast about this last week about Schumpeter and Marx and Adam Smith, but every time you make a thing, a change, the status quo can't be the same ever again. Like, so after John Cage uh, wrote his, uh, it's not called a manuscript. What do they call it when you write the musical score? Composition. Composition uh, for 433, which was a piece of uh, music that had no notes in it. No one else could ever do that again and have it be clever, right? That the, he changed it, he broke it. And he gets points for being the Marcel Duchamp of music but he also broke it because you don't get to do it again. And if you view the status quo as too precious, then you're not gonna ship anything because the very act of putting something into the world that's worth putting into the world changes what was in the world before you got there. And so part of what we're arguing for, it's not narcissism, but it's the bold generosity of showing up for people who might not get the joke until you tell it and doing it in a way that makes things better on average, hopefully not just for you, but for the people you seek to serve. Mm. That reminds, so that brings to mind the present moment, which we haven't really talked about yet. Um, But as we're recording, we are in the middle of of the coronavirus pandemic and it is terrible that there are people suffering and, and dying and nobody would wish that on anybody. But at the same time, um, there are some, some lessons and silver linings that we're all learning. One of them is that the status quo is kind of a seductive illusion. This idea that we can have certainty about anything and that the status we, that t- today will be just another day like yesterday and tomorrow will be very much the same. We've all been disabused of that notion because um, now things are profoundly different than they were for most of us um, just 30 days ago. So maybe just as we're winding down our time together, I'd, I'd love to, for you all to just share, you know, what, what are the silver linings or the, the opportunities that, that you're seeing and exploring in the moment that we find ourselves in, in April of 2020? There are definitely a lot of lessons Um, And I'm not sure if I would characterize them as silver linings necessarily, because I think that um, in the context of learning lessons, it's not necessarily something I would judge as good or bad. It just is. I mean, and that's one of the things that um, that that I think the the challenge is certainly to accept and and then deal with and and make the make the best of. Um, But definitely, as you said, Scott, the loss of, of any kind of certainty. Um, and, and, and the, the revelation that really how much we are powerless over how much, how little we have power over, but then that does have a focusing effect of going, okay, well, what, what can I influence? What, what change can I make? Where can I make a difference? Um, once you take a lot of assumptions for granted that have been legitimate assumptions that we can kind of carry along and keep going, cause that's the status quo. Then you say, well, what, what do people need right now? What, what do people need from me? What can I offer? What, how can I not just be noise? Um, and so there's a reckoning there that's 
that's certainly been really useful for me um, and, um, and a worthy challenge for sure. I'm not sure I've figured anything out, but um, maybe I will. <laughs> I have every confidence. How about you, Seth? Well, if you've lived a life, everybody has been laid off. Everybody has been sick. Everyone has lost a relative. <clears throat> Everyone has panicked. And the big, big difference right now is that it's all at the same time. And so it's amplified. The tragedy that we're living through is truly a tragedy um, and it cannot be minimized. But the thing that makes it the biggest part of the tragedy is it's the first instant global tragedy. And I think that if, uh, the, if John B. Boutet from Planet 10 came down and changed it so that everything went away in an hour and tomorrow was back to the way it was, I think it would make tomorrow a much brighter day, but I'm not sure that a week from now, many people would be walking through the world that differently than they were a few months ago. Because that's what human culture does, is it resets to normal. And so for me, in this moment, if you are healthy, if you are lucky enough to have a roof over your head and something to eat, what you really have in front of you is a choice. And the choice is to say, I need more time to panic. I need more time to check CNBC. I need more time to fret about a future that's not here yet. Please leave me alone. Or you can make the choice, which might stick with you for the rest of your life, to say, uh, what kind of contribution can I become? And I remember when it happened to me, I was 20, 19 years old and it happened in an hour, and I just decided. And I grew up, I won the parent lottery, and, but I had fallen into a cycle of being a victim and whining about it. And now we're all victims, and everyone has the right to whine about it. Now what? And so there are definitely days when I just want to crawl back home and say, I've been doing this for 60 years. I can stop now. But the thing that gets me out of bed is there are a few people who are ready to say, now what? And that's why we're here for each other, because this is a slog, but there will be another side, not back to normal, but there will be another side. And when you get at that side, who are you going to be? Because now we have a chance to become somebody. Yeah, I love both what you both said. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And one of the things that I've been trying to cultivate within myself is to stop looking at it like a catastrophe and a crisis. I mean, things are very different now than they were before, but taking myself and my loved ones out of the picture, you know, I mean, from a cosmological point of view to get back to stoicism, you know, this is, this is a little concern to the cosmos. It's of concern to us. You know, there are, you know, speaking to circling all the way back to where we started, some people are really benefiting or some, not people, but some, some creatures are really benefiting from the fact that humans are staying at home. The planet is a little happier, I think. Um, and so to, to Seth's point, you know, what do you, so things are different now than they were yesterday. And what are you going to do to make tomorrow better? Because I just can't help, maybe I am a, perhaps a delusional Pollyanna, but I believe that we can 
exit the situation so much better off and as better people than we entered it. If we make decisions empathetically, compassionately, do work with and for each other and, um, you know, say we're going over there, who wants to go with us? Uh, that's, that, that's, my, uh, that's my hope anyways. I love these conversations. This is the last one, but this is like, I think we're 14 or 15 round tables and this will definitely happen again. I could not be more pleased, thrilled, honored, humbled, privileged to uh, conclude this series with um, the two of you. So Casey, Seth, my friends, thank you so much. Just thank you both. Thank you, Scott, thank for leading. You. Thank you, Casey, for being such a light. Thank you to everybody for the ruckus you're making. It really matters. All right. Thanks Thank very you. much. A pleasure.